at the song selection because I had nothing to do with that, and yet it fits perfectly into what God has put upon my heart this morning. In 1887, Lord Acton wrote a letter to the scholar Mandel Creighton, and in that letter is a statement that many of us have heard. Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men, even when they exercise influence and not authority. There is no worse heresy than that the office sanctifies the holder of it. And that statement is certainly true as you think of the dictators of our modern era, Hitler, World War II, (coughs) Stalin, World War II, who killed 20 million of his own countrymen, Chairman Mao and the Cultural Revolution, Paul Pot and the killing fields between 1.5 and 2 million people, which, whose tribunal was just finished this week, though he had been dead many years. Idi Amin, the butcher of Uganda, who killed 300,000. Saddam Hussein of the Gulf War. Osama bin Laden, our 9-11 Taliban. Sheikh Kao of the Boko Haram. Al-Baghdadi, the head of ISIS, uh, Bashar al-Assad, Syria, who's killed 400,000 people and gassed his own countrymen. Kim Jong-un of North Korea, the slave camps. Al-Bashir of Sudan, 300,000 died by his hand. And you say to yourself, these are truly evil men. But the passage that we're going to look at today in 2 Samuel 9 shows a ruler who displayed the absolute opposite characteristic of these men. The the man David displayed the word mercy. Mercy, a kind and compassionate treatment. Mercy, a disposition to be forgiving and kind, a fortunate occurrence, alleviation of distress. Boy, that definition definitely shows the relationship between David and Mephibosheth that is seen in our passage today, 2 Samuel chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, turn to that text. And the first thing that you see is a loving example of mercy, and that is in King David. For it was the custom of any king who came to power to kill all the former king's family. Well, that eliminated any chance of an uprising and certainly certainly instilled fear in the citizenship of the country. But it also put him in absolute control. But... On two occasions, there was a promise that was made that Saul's family was to be spared. First one was in 1 Samuel chapter 20, when the promise is made between David and Jonathan that Saul's family would be spared. The second one is in 1 Samuel 24, where Saul enters the cave. David follows him. 
spares his life. Saul admits his wicked ways and knows that David is to be king. And out of mercy, pleading for mercy, he asks David to spare his family. So a promise was made. But the important thing was a promise was kept. David kept the promise. And enter into the scene a person by the name of Mephibosheth. As you know, Mephibosheth in the Old Testament, the name was to be a display of the character of that person. Well, the name of Mephibosheth means one who scatters. Shame. The root of the word actually in the Hebrew means shameful thing, despised, laughing stock. But David's made a promise. The promise was not made on merit. You see, human value is never, ever to be based on functionality. As you know, Mephibosheth was lame. Functionality is the ability to carry a a thought or a deed to completion or to fulfillment. But every person has impedance. No one functions 100% all the time. And as I get older, that percentage seems to be increasing greatly. Yes, impedance. Senior moments are happening more frequently. How about physical impedance? How about emotional impedance? Human value is never, ever to be based upon functionality. Most of us know about Corey Tim Boom and the hiding place and her, the story of the book. But very few of us knew that Corey Tim Boom was highly involved in the disabled community of Holland to establish the value and the dignity of the mentally and physically handicapped. And it was interesting when she died, one of uh, my dear friends went to visit her and she had a major, major stroke. And he took great care of her physical therapy. But as she died, she became like a small child. So would we say her life was invaluable? Oh, absolutely not. You see, because human value is the fact that every one of us are endowed with the communicable attributes of God. We can share that love and joy and mercy and kindness with others. So, a promise was kept by David. And it was not based upon merit. But it was entirely based upon mercy. Mephibosheth hiding from David, living in the barren fields of Palestine. You've been there, they are indeed barren. Mephibosheth was nothing, had nothing, and deserved nothing in and of himself. Wow. What an incredible, direct illustration of the mercy that God has demonstrated to us. So we too 
are the wonderful, blessed recipients of one who is greater than King David, who they our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For you see, for us today, a promise was made. Genesis 3.15. You know the story? Adam falls in the garden. God says, I will put enmity between Satan's seed and her seed, and he shall crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. And because of Adam and Eve's sin, a sacrifice was instituted, and the whole sacrificial system was instituted because God made a sacrifice to clothe Adam and Eve. You go to Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. Cain comes to God with his own product and said, Lord, accept my own self-righteousness. No, Abel made a sacrifice and slew an animal in obedience to God's commands. Go to chapter 8, Noah, after the flood. What is the first thing he does? Makes a sacrifice and worships God. Genesis 15, Abraham is promised a son. God puts Abraham asleep and God passes through the split animal to show that the promise was incumbent upon God to be fulfilled. God would fulfill his word. A sacrifice was made. Think of Passover. A sacrifice was made. But two elements stand out on every one of these occasions. Two, grace and substitution. God spares, but something had to die. An animal had to be sacrificed. Grace and substitution. Bloodshed. In those days, always looking forward to a coming Redeemer. Until one, until one day, one day, a promise was kept. For God so loved the world, what? He gave His only begotten Son. A promise was kept. Can you imagine, if you were in the audience, when... John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Can you imagine what those people must have thought? A lamb was a person? How can a lamb be a person? How can a person be a sacrifice? We, we sacrifice animals. How, how, how can this person take away sin of the world? Well, the Jewish concept of sacrifice was for the Jewish concept. How, how can this person take away the sins of the world? 
They were indeed confused. You see, the promise was kept. And you know what? It was not based on merit, was it? Just as David blessed Mephibosheth was not based upon merit, so one greater than David blesses us not based upon our merit. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of the wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come we might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. A promise was kept. A redeemer came and brought us salvation not based on merit. For you see, my friends, we were spiritually dead. How can we redeem ourselves? We're dead. Dead men can't do anything. Morally depraved, living by our own lust, fulfilling our own desires, mentally destitute, indulging and carrying out our willful disobedience to God's standards. But God. But God. His love. His graciousness. Brought salvation to us. You see my friends. That salvation. Not based on our merit. What? Based on his mercy. Just as David showed mercy to Mephibosheth. So God in a greater degree, has shown mercy to us. I love what John MacArthur wrote in his commentary. He shows the six aspects of our salvation. From sin, verses 1 to 3. By love, verse 4. Into life, verse 5. With a purpose, verses 6 and 7. Through faith, verses 8 and 9. Unto Good works, 
verse 10. Wow. What a wonderful, wonderful Savior we have. What a merciful Savior we have. And just as King David was a loving example of mercy, so now he shows a loving exercise of that mercy. What did he do? You see, David had the right as king of Israel to do whatever he wanted, with whom he wanted, whenever he wanted. But David's position, he shows mercy and kindness to Mephibosheth. Did Mephibosheth deserve it? Absolutely not. He makes him one of his own, verse 11. As one of the king's sons. And he puts him in a place of responsibility. Mephibosheth is to oversee the house of Ziba, verse 12. Wow. What an incredible exercise in mercy. The mercy of God, the graciousness of God, the goodness of God was seen to us. And just as David exercised that wonderful mercy to Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth's position showed that he had no right to experience David's position and mercy. But David gave it to him freely. For you see, my friends, Mephibosheth moved from a place of absolute brokenness to what? Blessing. And just as David had rights to exercise as king, Mephibosheth had a responsibility as a recipient of David's mercy. What was he to do? He was to honor the king. Notice what he said. He said, I couldn't do this for myself because in the verses he said, I once considered myself as a dead dog. Now I eat at the king's table. I couldn't do this for myself. But because I am loved and blessed and cherished by the king, I will do what he asked me to do. I will obey him. I will serve him out of duty. No, out of devotion and gratitude for the mercy that David showed to him. Did Mephibosheth go around the palace? Look at who I am. Look what's been done for me. No, you know why? Because Mephibosheth had a constant reminder. What was it? A limp. Wherever he went, he was still lame. Did that remove him from King David's palace? (laughs) No. For once he was adopted into David's family because King David kept the promise he made to Jonathan and Saul. Mephibosheth 
was always considered his what? Son. And he could always, always freely dine at the table. Now, the king's position shows us his mercy. Shows us his grace, his kindness, in spite of who we are. He makes us as one of his own. He adopts us into his family. And we have the right to call him, what? Abba, Father. That sweet fellowship that we can have with the King of kings and Lord of lords, just as Mephibosheth had with King David. So we too can have fellowship with a king far greater than King David. He makes us as one of his own, but he puts us also in a place of responsibility. For he says, we are to go into all the world and make disciples. We are to share the news of our new position with others. Our position, what? We are guests. We are guests at the king's table. He has brought us from brokenness to blessing. And just as King David had rights to do with Mephibosheth, whatever he desired to do, and he chose to bless him, so Mephibosheth had a responsibility to be a blessing to the king. We, have, we are to honor the king. This is what the king has done for me. He has redeemed me. He paid the price on Calvary's cross. He brought me out of the slave market of sin. I am now a free man, free to do what I want. No, free to do my show allegiance to the one who has redeemed me. What a cost. For he bore our sin in his own body on the tree. The sinner is now made a saint. So what do I want to do? I want to obey his commands. I want to serve him. I want to do what the King of Kings and Lord of Lords wants me to do. I want to honor the king. But I also want to live in gratitude to the king. You see, Thanksgiving should not be a day. It should be an attitude. Grateful that the Lord God has redeemed us and we can have fellowship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. <laughs> based upon who we are, based upon what we've accomplished, look what he's done for me. No. No. Because of his mercy and grace. Some of you may be here today and you're like Mephibosheth. 
broken. Nobody knows that. Nobody would tell you that. But maybe you're broken by emotional memories, mental images, social feelings, physical scars. Maybe you're living in a barren place. Could I tell you something? Remember, the king has not forgotten his promise. He wants to show you kindness. He wants to adopt you into his family. He wants you to come and eat at his table. He's inviting you to come and dine. So, go. Enjoy the feast. It's free. Eat well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hmm, where would we be without your grace and mercy? And just as King David showed it to Mephibosheth, oh Lord, you have shown it to many of us here. But Lord, if there's someone here who has never dined at the table, I thank you, Lord, that the invitation is always open. And Lord, I pray at this Thanksgiving season, they would come. And Lord, for those of us who have been adopted into the family of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. May we feast regularly as Mephibosheth did. May we feast at your table. You've invited us, Lord. May we eat well and enjoy the wonderful blessings that you have at your banquet table for your adopted sons and daughters. Thank you, O Lord. And the family of God said, Amen. Amen.